Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, listeners, to our very first M. Night retrospective review. Today, we will not be discussing The Sixth Sense, as many of you might presume to be Shyamalan's first film. It is one of his earliest. It is also not Wide Awake, which is the next one that we have one more after this to get to before The Sixth Sense. Yeah, even before Wide Awake, which was publicly released theatrically, this film was not released well theatrically per se it was released at the toronto film festival on september 12th 1992 this film is praying with anger this is your co-host corbin and i'm alan if i still sound a little bit under the weather it's because i'm at the tail end of my cold so if i sound a little off you'll still understand why So, in a land torn apart by hate, he found the strength to love. This is the tagline for Praying with Anger, and it pretty much sums it up. That sounds about appropriate. Yeah, without giving too much away, uh, (laughs) this is quite the interesting movie for multiple ways you can read that saying, because it's Shyamalan's very first, as far as IMDb is concerned, and... There's a lot of interesting things in it, and there's a lot of very amateur things in it. We'll all get into that uh, here in a second. But yeah, that tagline just kind of sums up everything that the movie is about here, which I wouldn't be surprised if you were confused on a first viewing what this movie was trying to say. And I would be surprised if many of you have seen this movie, you know, let alone heard of it. It was never released theatrically, like I said, and it was also never released on DVD. It may have had a small VHS distribution. I have a feeling that what Alan and I watched, we watched it off of YouTube. They just maybe put their camera in front of the TV and caught the (laughs) VHS. It kind of looks like it. I did read somewhere, I think it was like the Shyamalan fans uh, website, that they don't even know if a VHS copy exists. There might be one. But according to that website, there hadn't been a a DVD or VHS copy that's been floating around anywhere. I think that it should be released on DVD eventually, just so the director's entire oeuvre of work is available. And as I mentioned, it really just premiered at the film festival. I couldn't even find very many written film reviews of this. I found one of the New York Times, and uh, it basically said that they appreciate what the very young 22-year-old was able to do, like with lighting and shot composition, for certain shots anyway, but uh, overall they found it to just kind of be immature with certain elements so we'll get into our feelings if we agree with that right right and i it's it's interesting because this in some ways almost reminds me of a student film yeah but it's like totally not uh because it's got Shyamalan's name written all over it writing directing um and acting in it in his own film but he's also it's also his very first movie so 
from my perspective, being also a very young person, being 22 at this time, it, I would assume that it is a student film. But from the looks of things, it's not necessarily the case. Not like Damien Chazelle, where Guy and Madeline on a park bench was a student film and then was released. I had a bit, bit more a bigger release after uh, it essentially went through uh, his class that he was making it for. Yeah, I don't believe this. It does have very much a student film quality to it. I thought the same yeah. thing. But I don't believe it was a like student film project. I did find a little information. I'm not sure if it's completely credible. But I did find out that Shyamalan was getting close to graduation from New York University when he was uh, working on this film. Pretty much probably starting it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. My guess is it's probably just more of a passion project than anything else and got a bunch of people or a few people to help produce it. And Yeah, I, I figured he's getting a jump start after graduation. Yeah, that, that sounds like it. he's just getting a head start before he really jumps in and makes Wide Awake and then eventually Sixth Sense, which is what really put him on the map. Yeah, got the, uh, got the Oscar nomination. Right. With a third, which is with his third movie is pretty impressive. Yep. Uh, so, just in case you all were wondering, what is uh, M Night Shyamalan? What does that stand for? Well, Shyamalan is his last name, but his given name is Manaj Neliyatu Shyamalan, and he was born in uh, Mahai Puducherry, India. Now, as you can tell, his middle name is not Knight; it's Neliyatu. Well, I believe at the time of at the university, and he was probably thinking of his directorial career to come, he probably wanted something a little catchier than his given name, a little more condensed that could ring with the American audiences. And honestly, he did a pretty good job. Like, that was a pretty smart move to call himself, shorten his first name, just give it the initial M, and then change the second part to Knight which kind of goes along with he was kind of wanting to do a bit more intense macabre type movies and then of course he kept his last name so i mean, honestly who doesn't who hasn't heard of at least once in their life the name M Night Shyamalan oh yeah yeah he's been everywhere especially recently with his somewhat of a comeback uh movies it kind of reminds me of this other director named Mick G um, I don't know if you've heard oh, of him, yeah. Corbin, but I have. <laughs> he's okay. Yeah, he. I know he's done probably the most famous movie he's done is Terminator Salvation. Mm -hmm. Um, he's a very interesting director. It just his name reminds me of that guy because it just kind of feels like more of a stage name, more or less. Yeah, and it like you said, it more or less is a stage name, and I gotta admit, a pretty cool one at that. I did find it interesting that this movie was partially funded by his parents, who would have both been very wealthy. I both believe they were doctors, so and okay. it was cool his parents would do that for him. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I mean, I wonder, I wonder, however, how many other filmmakers his parents have kind of helped fund their first movies. Yeah, uh, I guess that's not really a question I've actually thought about looking up and. That is an interesting question, I suppose. Now, I can't confirm if this is true or not. And like Alan said, there's wide speculation whether there really ever was any VHSs printed of this movie. 
and we possibly won't ever know because there is there's a rumor that whatever VHSs were made, Shyamalan was embarrassed, especially around the time of the sixth sense of this movie, and he really didn't want people getting their hands on it however they could. So he bought up all of the copies from rental stores or from uh, stores, and he just destroyed them. I'm not sure if that's true. That sounds a lot like what George Lucas wanted to do with the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> he just wanted to eradicate the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, with at least George Lucas, it kind of makes a bit more sense. But with someone like M. Night Shyamalan, who had just had The Sixth Sense come out, uh, seems a bit out there. Well, I'm not saying it's completely discredible, discredited, but it is, does seem a bit a bit out there. Kind of like a uh, an E.T. situation where they just got all the copies of the game E.T., which I do own, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, and buried it somewhere in the desert, apparently. There is a really good documentary over that. It might be called Atari Game Over. Yeah. And I do know that that one's pretty much been proven that it did actually happen at some point. Yeah, it's it's well done. I recommend checking it out, listeners. Well, if you do want to check out Praying with Anger, M. Night Shyamalan's first film, before we go ahead and spoil it for you, it is available for you to watch free on YouTube right now. So go ahead and pause this uh, podcast and go ahead and watch the movie. Come back with us and we'll be ready to talk about it. Dave Ramon, Dave is spelled D-E-V, but in the film it's pronounced Dave, is an American college student who is sent to live and study in India by the insistence of his mother. A year ago, Dave's father, a native Indian, died. The two had a poor relationship, and Dave's mother feel it'll do her son good to become acquainted with his Indian heritage. But his reputation precedes him. The school officials and his host family believe he is a problem kid with anger issues. Come to find out, Dave isn't a problem kid. He punched a racist bully at his school, thereby giving him a bad reputation. When Dave arrives in India, he is completely out of his element. He doesn't know the customs such as don't touch girls, let the bullies bully you, and don't ask questions in class. Feeling like a fish out of water, Dave wishes to go home but is convinced by Sanjay, the host family's son, to stay. Over the course of his time, Dave learns about the horrible beliefs in India. Not being one to stand aside, Dave begins to fix the culture in the community he lives in. During this time, he also visits his father's old house, where he meets his father's old friend, who explains that Dave's father sent him letters telling of how he loved his son more than anything. Learning this new revelation fixes Dave's issues with his father, and later that night, the spirit of his father enters Dave. Literally. Meanwhile, Dave learns of the rich spirituality of Hinduism. Dave begins his journey an unbeliever, but after experiencing Indians as the most passionate people, he comes to find he truly is one, and his faith is restored. On the night before he must leave, the school bully, what I can only assume, kidnaps the principal, threatening to murder him in the streets. Dave comes to his principal's rescue despite the man having it out for him. Through the process, Dave earns the respect of the bully, the principal, and teaches the Indians a lesson in forgiveness. 
The following morning, Sanjay finds Dave praying in the temple, no longer angry, but at peace and love for India. He explains, I was going back to America, but I was leaving my home as credits roll. So before we start getting into, I guess, the super cheesy bits of this movie, because there's plenty of it. Yes. Uh, I do want to talk about some of the more interesting things because I think that at least since opening half an hour or so is filled with some pretty interesting ideas and themes here, namely the differences in culture between America and India. Now, don't get me wrong, this has been done many times before and after this movie in probably much better ways, but it is still interesting to see a main character who originally is from this culture, just not born there, um, kind of had this stereotype thrust upon him. And he is just kind of confused as to why people think this without really, I guess, any proof aside from just word of mouth. And he has to deal with this, even though they're, in some level, still his people, because this is part of his culture that he grew up with, with his father and mother. Yeah, the film in the beginning does a nice job of setting up where Dave is coming from and how he's already prejudged and they expect him not to fit in and to be it, – it also gives an insight as to the notions of um, possibly Indians thinking – Aside from apparently all Indians thinking all Americans know Michael Jackson, which was funny at first, but after a while it seemed pretty unrealistic. Yeah, keeps going. Keeps going. But they also think Dave is going to be, he's going to have like colored hair and ear piercings and he's going to be some Kiefer Sutherland Lost Boys type of figure or something. But yeah, like you said in the beginning, it brings up these interesting issues and if i forgot to mention in the beginning this is written by m night Shyamalan, and he is also dave the main character so gotta got a triple threat here for his first film right yeah this is very much a passion project he's once again all over the map on this in this movie here but yeah it is interesting that uh he himself also does a little bit of stereotyping here it's it plays on this big theme of stereotyping just kind of in general mostly due towards dave because he is an american uh he don't no one has really seen him up until uh, he originally arrives there the only thing that they really know is that he has gotten into a fight and then immediately everybody else goes okay i know exactly who this is in theory they think that he's some wild kid who has piercings and colored hair knows michael jackson all this kind of weird stuff that you would i guess associate with america or teenagers from america it's very much some juvenoia e things happening around this uh the beginning of this movie it sounds like i'm a little surprised his mom didn't do a better job of explaining her intentions of sending him to india because in the Towards the very opening, we get a shot of the school board where the principal is talking about how he's a boy with a tendency to fight and he assumes his mother sent him there to straighten him out. So immediately they've got it out for him. And then when he comes to not really show any indications that he wants to fight, then they still have it out for him and accuse him of being a cheater a liar, 
Uh, I, I'm just really completely having it out for him, and the way they redeem that in the end is pretty weak, but we'll get to that. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. There there is very much a re- redemption arc here with this character. Mostly not it, it's kind of half and half. Part of it is with him redeeming his relationship with his already dead father, but also him redeeming uh his relationship with the people in this in this country here in India and showing that he's not actually the way that they think he is. Um that he's actually quite a peaceful and cool dude, but yeah, you're right. It when, once we get there it is kind of like Okay, but that aside, uh, the boys in this movie are, for better or for worse, just kind of your typical movie bullies. They come out of nowhere for really no reason at all and start picking on our main character for, once again, really no reason at all. Um, And the biggest uh, idea brought up here is respect, where... Uh, M. Night Shyamalan's character, Dave, I guess is how they pronounce it here, is he wants to gain respect from these guys. He will not leave until he has respect from these bullies, which doesn't happen really until the very in, very last scene. Yeah, and immediately in the, ver- in the beginning of the movie, we're kind of set up like bowling pins, different themes here for Dave to knock down eventually, yeah. such as, like Alan just mentioned, respect. Dave deals with um even respect and unconditional love within the family setting as he does with his host family he deals with ancestry uh particularly concerning with his father and then his own familial relationships also with um yeah bullying and um also arranged marriages dave uh, fixes that one and ultimately i came to decide this movie should have been called dave saves india pretty much yeah this is he's pretty much the superman of india here uh because he he very much comes in and fixes everyone's problems everyone that he meets he fixes their problems in some kind of shape uh super form most notably with the arranged marriage would be the sister and he kind of tries to influence uh, i think manchico is her name there towards the yeah. end and that doesn't really go anywhere <laughs> that's uh, the one problem he can't but he does solve. fix the bullies they respect him in the end it's it's yeah he very much fixes everyone who has an issue that comes into this movie he fixes by the end almost except for manchico i think it's really the only one that i can think of that he doesn't fully uh fix the issue and, of course, a movie called Praying with Anger, you think, would deal with praying and with faith. The whole kind of motif of praying with anger, to me, really doesn't even... It's not even mentioned until, like, one of the last lines of the movie where Dave talks about how Indians are praying with anger. I don't know. We'll get to it. I wrote it down. Anyways, yeah. the only mention of praying we get is when they have Dave visit a Hindu temple with Sanjay, and Dave explains he stopped praying after his football team didn't make it into the playoffs. It's a very immature method of thinking about God and praying. That's okay. He's a young man. He, he doesn't get it just yet. And I'm not sure if they quite... Uh, give it to the audience pretty square what dave ultimately thinks of praying i don't know the whole the whole kind of idea of praying seems to be a bit lost throughout the movie the focus is not on the title anyway 
Yeah, the the title of the movie is interesting. It has, I think, it's more to do with because uh, it is also kind of itself a play on words. Because usually when you pray, you're trying, you're more or less trying to pray for peace. And in this movie, it seems it's meant to be the very the very opposite of that, where Dave is kind of cast out to be this very angry person coming into this new culture that he uh, has yet to be to. And he's already had the stereotype thrown upon him. So I, I'm seeing it more as kind of a play on words where uh, just as much as the phrase praying with anger is feels a little bit, a little bit backwards than what you would typically think. Same with Dave, where he himself is being stereotyped in a way where he is shown or is seen by others to be very angry when in reality, it's not so much that way. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of what I'm seeing from this title uh, here, just kind of in the movie's sake. Now, it we do get uh, a pro-American speech here by Dave in the beginning, which I thought was good, um, where he's talking with the daughter because she's saying how she wants to marry this banker, but that's not in line with her system. And Dave says America is about individualism, whereas India has a confining caste system that you're you're never able to get out of. You're not, that's not a movable um, system. Whereas here, you're poor, you could become rich. There, it's not like that at all. But I did appreciate his thoughts on individualism. And I thought, yeah, that's a really important point to bring up between these two cultures. Right. And I also thought it was very interesting that uh, the sister here, we, I think, only see her love interest of the banker like when she gets married. Mm -hmm. He never becomes a character in this movie, really, aside from just by face. He's always kind of uh, just mentioned whenever they talk about him and how he's a part of this completely different group of people. And they explain that if he's a part of this different group, then we essentially just can't even go over there for marriage. We have to... Uh, marry within our own group, our own, I guess, social class here. Uh, and not very opposite from America, where it's just completely free. You can essentially marry whoever you feel that you want to marry, um, for the most part. So, yeah, very, once again, we have a, there's a lot of conflicts in terms of 100% opposition or very, very contrasted uh, views of the world because India is. Once again, very leveled out. It's very, very much a caste system. People are in groups, whereas in America, everyone's kind of in their own little group. They're individual. They're individualistic, so they can do really whatever they want, however they want. Of course, within the confines of the law. But yeah, once again, it's one of these things, and it, it does kind of play in this trope of forbidden love. But I kind of appreciated that it never really took it in a way that most movies do. More to the fact that they take it and it becomes the whole thing about this movie. There are certain aspects being used here, but it's not overbearing. Now, as for M. Night Shyamalan's acting and delivery during these scenes, he unfortunately doesn't sell me on, well, investing investing me in the plot and in his character. Now, I will say yeah. what's more so investing than the plot is... I was impressed with um, how a 22-year-old was able to shoot uh, a very well-looking film, for the most part, with uh, lighting. There's some really nice shots of lighting, like the sun coming in through the trees as they're walking around. Uh, He's not, like, 
chopping people's heads off with the top of the, f- the frame. And the editing is fairly done, fairly well done here as well, kind of uh, making everything smoothly come together story-wise. So I will give him praise for that. Yeah, there are there is very much a great level of competency with this movie. You can very much tell what's going on and when it's happening. Uh, unlike a lot of other first-time movies, they don't always end up this way. It's one of these. One of these exceptions where the very first movie that they make that, or uh, first, first in terms as in terms of IMDb as concerned, um, there very well could be a lot more movies uh, before this that M Night Shyamalan just hasn't released for probably good reason. But once again, uh, yeah, you're very much correct. There is a lot of there is a big level of competency here. You can very much tell what's going on when it's happening. It is lit in a few scenes very well. Uh, in terms of what he's been able to do. So yeah, there it's very impressive for a first time. Uh, and he will pretty much go and go up from here until a certain point in his career. And then, well, of course, that is a few podcasts away, though. Alan is our resident score kind of sewer. So what did you think of uh, <laughs> score in this movie? Uh, well, it's a very 90s. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, it's okay... I I guess I didn't expect too much going into it, just kind of given the context that this movie exists in. Yeah, it's it's fine. It does the job when it needs to, but it's one of those. It's just really just super cheesy all the way around. Kind of with a lot of things in this movie. It, I mean, to be honest, it does kind of fit with this movie how just the tone and everything. But there are times where it just kind of feels really cheesy and there are times where it works very quite well with the scene yeah i would agree with that as well sometimes it does work well and then sometimes it's and i would say more times than not it's just cheesy it feels like a 90s tv show almost oh yeah so i but for the time and place i feel that it has a spot in just kind of how scores have changed where they kind of identify themselves and with the time so I don't think it's completely bad, but some some of it is. And I think one of the worst scenes we get is an, this, this initial bullying scene, at least one of the for the first yeah. half of the movie, uh, where the bullies approach them. And well, just right before that, when Dave goes up and puts his hand on the girl's shoulder, which I'm not even sure I would have even done to, to a girl I didn't know. I might have just said her name probably. Um, but it's very funny how the girls freak out. They back away from him like he's a monster, and he just repeatedly calls out, what What did I do? And there's this dreadful music, which is so funny. But yeah, um, then I knew what kind of movie we were in for, and I was further solidified in knowing what kind of movie we were in for when the bullies say, hey, we asked the questions, Oh, gosh. And then they start kind of just pushing them around and the camera like kind of like runs at them very quickly. And then, okay, this is the one thing M. Night Shyamalan hasn't figured out how to, if not film, then at least he doesn't know how to edit it together properly, is when people fight in this movie because it all feels incredibly staged. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's... Especially the very ending climax scene. Uh, 
you can really tell that everything's kind of blocked out in a certain way. It doesn't really feel very natural to any of the actors. No. Here too, but very big in that in that last scene. I can, you can just really tell. And I just couldn't believe how hokey it was when this yeah. kid tries to punch out Dave, but Dave th- like throws him onto a table, and then the camera just zooms in real quick onto him like he's some tough superhero and it's like whoa did he just do that oh and it's no yeah. <laughs> the the best way to put it is amateur and yeah. cheesy yeah there, there's a lot to still that he needs to still learn uh with this i mean he gets the point across but at the same time there's a lot of, it's, it's a block of cheese that that's just the best way of putting it here and one of my other issues is we come to quickly find out how it's Dave versus India. And yep. in the scene shortly after, Dave asks a question in class about Shakespeare and he gets kicked out for as- asking a question, which to me seems to defeat the whole purpose of education. But nevertheless, I'm just frustrated that Dave is a straw man. His character is built up to be knocked down by impossible odds, which I'm presuming in M. Night Shyamalan's mind is creating some emotional depth or gravity to the situation, how he's this misunderstood kid, he's a fish out of water, all he wants to do is learn, and he is being torn down every step of the way by Eastern culture and how he (laughs) just doesn't understand it. And how he must right. learn to fit within their rules, but he's going to change them as well and kind of give this wonderful East-West blend. It just makes for a very weak character. Yeah, and I, I can definitely see that. And I will agree with you. He is, along with pretty much everybody else here, they're pretty weak characters. Like, the brother kind of has an arc. I, I think his name is yeah Sean... Sean, Sean Sanjay, there we go. He kind of has an arc here because he realizes that, hey, I know that things are wrong or things here are very different than America. You can't question this system really at all. Most evident with this scene when he does question about Shakespeare, wants to ask a question just in terms of gather some knowledge about whatever they're learning about, right? Sanjay knows that the system is this way, but doesn't do much really to try and fix it. Whereas, uh, cat, whereas Dave is very much a guy who's meant for very, for a lot of action. He's one who's kind of questioning the system, uh, really in every, in every direction. So uh, in one scene, they do bring up this line that I forget the exact line, but they essentially say, that uh, you can still make a difference in a culture that's unwilling to move uh, in terms of, tra- just in, at least in this, with this movie, it's very much traditional. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, a tradition that's holding it down from changing. I, that's kind of what the whole movie is about, is that you can still make a difference even when your tradition goes against really everything that you're trying to stand for. Or you can still make a difference even when you can't change the culture. Uh, and that does kind of play in there towards the end when he pretty much saves everybody, at least in this little mm-hmm. town, uh, from the riots that yeah. are going on. Uh, and then, oh gosh, right after this, 
Dave wants to quit and go home. Okay, the typical teenage hero's plight. But Sanjay gives him this, quote, impassioned speech about how if you leave now, you'll just prove everything that was right about them. And while that is true, there is no really indication throughout the rest of the movie that Dave by himself is able to change their minds. He needs some incredible situation to catalyze the change in their hearts, which is the riot type mob thing there at the end. And I just found it to be incredibly cheesy. I can't even believe they wrote this in. When Sanjay says the S word twice and Dave says, where did you learn to cuss like that? Are you kidding me? I'm like, you've never been around teenagers before in America that cuss? Like, where did you live? Why, You know, rural Wyoming where nobody goes right. to school it's, or something? It's, it's one of those things where it, I, I'm sure it was meant to be a funny line, but stupid. execution is key. Yeah, and that's another thing is people aren't quite sure about line delivery timing all the time where in order to make it more impactful kind of like i said with how the more action-packed sequences are staged the line delivery as well just doesn't always come across as organic it's comes across as oh this is my cue i need to deliver it right now or right deliver it right after one of the biggest issues for me around this time of the movie now is that we have like Five different subplots going on at this yeah. point. We have the main subplot of our character trying to live in India. That's fine. But then we also have the father's subplot. He wants to go visit his father, find out where he came from, where he lived, things like that. Find out the culture that he grew up in. We also have the love interest subplot where uh, he meets Manchiko and they kind of begin to develop some kind of relationship here. Then we have the sister's subplot where she's trying to get married to a banker who's in a completely different group than what her mother, uh, than what her parents live in and would not really allow her to go out there and marry this guy. There are like, oh yeah, we also have the Boldies subplot, which is they come up periodically to reinforce this theme of making a change when they're really, it's really hard to make a change in a very strict and traditional culture. There are like four or five subplots going on really about this time of the movie. They've all been introduced around here and they're all in full play and they keep kind of switching back and forth between the few of them to try and, now they, now they do all wrap them up in the end. There's Really, really, the only loose end that they leave is Manchico. She just kind of they have a talk, and that's about it. But there's a lot going on here, and that kind of begins to suffer when you try to edit it all together because there are scenes that they just jump from one scene to the next, and they have nothing to do with each other. They are completely opposite scenes. You could have put the adjacent scene in a different, in a completely different sequence in the movie almost, and it would have made the exact same amount of sense as it does with the cut that it already exists. Right, and even the scenes that are trying to set up plot points later on and create continuity, they still don't really make sense either. Uh, for instance, when the bully gets... Exp- okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but is is not the bully expelled from the school? In one scene? Well, okay, he was originally suspended. Okay. And then he was caught cheating, and then they expelled him. And then the reason why they caught him, the reason why they expelled him is because they caught him cheating. And then they begin, the principal begins watching 
uh, Dave because he suspects that he is also cheating because he has such good good grades in the class. Uh, it was so, just yes, he does get expelled at one point. Okay, but it was confusing when he comes back to the school and he has the authority to take Dave out of class. And my only guess is this guy thinks that it'll be good for Dave to be knocked around or ragged on, as their terminology goes. Yeah. Um, okay, that just didn't make any sense. I, the other thing that um, I would think uh, they don't really fit continuity-wise is all of the religious scenes where they're visiting the temple or they're visiting um i don't know is that weird occultic scene where the man and the lady have all the candles and they're shaking around and trying to bring the spirits out and whenever they bring up religious or praying they just seem to randomly visit the temple throughout the movie and i don't get much out of those scenes anyway (laughs) yeah it's it kind of feels like a, uh, I guess the best way of explaining this movie is it kind of just feels like a quilt. Yeah. There's just random patches yeah, of scenes stitched together to this blanket. Yeah. That's just kind of what it feels like. There there are sometimes a leading through line from one scene to the next, mm-hmm. but oftentimes there just really isn't. It just kind of moves on from one idea to the next idea with nothing connecting the two ideas. Uh, it, it makes for a very random movie especially here towards the middle when they're trying to balance everything here. Uh, and I understand why he decided to do this. I, at least I would pretend like to pretend that I know why, because he's trying to focus on the bigger aspects of just kind of life in general between the two kind of cultures that he lives in now, which is a lot of these ideas, kind of respect, love, things of that nature. A lot of stuff like that. He's trying to figure out a way or trying to tell a story where he tell or he figures out how to balance all these and under, and understand where the where the uh, middle line is between the two of them between the two the, between the two cultures in terms of how Dave experiences it. Once again, the problem is there is way too much here, and it becomes almost like a it becomes a really bad juggling act mm. when you really get into it here, especially in the middle part of this movie, just kind of all out of uh, out of order, out of out of place. It feels so scatterbrained. And I can understand why Shyamalan would want to make his first film about India and feeling like a stranger there because it most likely is very personal to his life considering his parents are from there. He grew up there for the first six of his life before moving to the United States. And so he wants to address those issues and show how his Western values have made an impact on his life and his family's life and how they can help change that for the better. But this is all almost a fantasy. It's very idealistic to think that you could even, I guess maybe I could buy um, more so the family changing their minds. Like It'd be really shocking if the mom continued to not love her daughter for marrying that man. Honestly, that really doesn't have much to do with Dave. If you're telling me that this daughter's whole, like, uh, decisions and worldview are based on Dave's one line of dialogue about American individualism, no, that had been, uh, kind of coming up for years and they had been thinking this themselves. And I, I'm not going to buy in that Dave is the catalyst for taking on a arranged marriage 
and fixing that problem. So I, I could see it more as he was just a tipping point. But once again, they don't really explain that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, one of the other problems I have with this movie is everybody continually telling Dave because his father was Indian. Therefore, Dave is Indian. Now, I understand uh, he has a heritage, but Dave grew up his whole life in America. So right. And he's an American citizen for all intents and purposes. He's American and the like the American culture. That's his culture. So I just really don't buy this. And they're going to really hammer home how, especially that very ending line where Dave says, I was going back to America, but I was leaving my home. Okay. I, I just doubt that Dave would become so assimilated into their culture that he doesn't really like. But at the same time, he's constantly talking about how beautiful it is and how great the Indian people are that he would be have bought into it that fast and like want to go move there, I guess. Right. Yeah. They don't really handle that in the best way that probably it could have been handled. I see it more as the, cause there is a line towards the end when the father subplot is kind of wrapped up where he realizes that his, the way that his dad was parenting him, which he thought was the stupidest thing in the world and that he thought that his dad hated him was not necessarily the case. It was more to do with the dad living by the culture that he grew up in and that kind of also grounded that culture in the household and he just didn't realize it up until when he went to India uh, now. But, um, so I can say, okay, so I can see where they're trying to connect the dad's culture and bring that into the household and then M. Knight's, M. Knight's character, Dave, now being a person who accepts this culture because he realizes this is the culture he's literally grown up in his whole life in his in his home. But you are correct. It is a pretty big leap for this to happen in, I guess, a really short amount of time because it takes him a while to get to this point where he realizes that it's okay and it's like one of the last days that he's there, he realizes that I love this place. And then he's sad to go back to America. Yeah, I found that to be such a weak write-off when he goes and visits his dad's home. The obligatory finding out about where you came from scene yeah. where the guy, and this is so cliched, I've seen this so many times before, where... They, they're like, oh, my father or mother hated me. And they're like, no, they loved you more than anything. I know they, you know, hated you to your face, but, you know, they wrote letters behind your back talking about how much they love right. you. And I'm like, how in the world does that make sense? Why would you relate yeah. that to somebody else, but not the other person? But Dave immediately understands. He says, I understand now, dad. And everything's good. Yeah, it's... That happens a lot in this movie where they just, they the way that they wrap it up isn't necessarily the best way to wrap something up here. Uh, it just kind of feels like we took, we missed a couple steps getting to the very end. Uh, yeah, they, they don't, they don't handle it very well along with a lot of, a lot of other ways that they wrap up subplots. It's just kind of, there you go. And that needed to be the strongest payoff. That needed to be the strongest connection is Dave's familial connection, not his connection to his crush at school. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And because with this father, the connection, it, it, it connects to everything here in India in some kind of fashion. And 
they only bring up this father subplot really in full effect here in the scene when he goes to visit him and realizes, wait, he he actually did love me. <laughs> yeah. I wish you guys could have seen Alan's face. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the other problems that I have is this faulty worldview of God because, of course, this movie takes place in India where they practice Hinduism for the most part. And we get this faulty line from Sanjay that says, I believe it doesn't matter who you're praying to as long as you're praying. So it kind of gives you this really wishy-washy, just pretty uh, widespread uh, belief system here. And this is essentially pantheism. God is everywhere and everything. Therefore, it doesn't matter who or how you're praying. And then I believe Dave eventually comes to buy into Hinduism. He never was before but ultimately that whole and i and i understand m night Shyamalan was raised a hindu but ultimately that is a flaw of the movie is just this faulty worldview of just pray to the universe yeah it's it's very interesting how the hindu religion just kind of throughout this movie because it does well a lot of other things feel kind of random because at one point he says, I don't care who, it doesn't really matter who you're praying to, as long as you're praying, that's all that matters, kind of more or less saying that uh, it's kind of the hope of praying to something that you live by. But then again, he also comes back, and I forget where exactly in the movie he says this, but he begins, it may have been the, one of the bullies scenes, but he begins, no, no, it's the very last scene, he begins asking, like, who's going to save you now? Which God is going to save you now? You know, and asking the people around him, um, if the gods that they pray to are going to be the ones that are going to come and going to save them or whatever. It just kind of feels like he's then again also questioning their religion and how faulty it may be that he sees. It's interesting how they handle a lot of this stuff because it doesn't... It just feels so random the way the things that they pick and choose to focus on. And then ultimately there really is no crux when it comes to finding out this arc of a religion. It's one of the other ones that's kind of just left out there at the very end. It doesn't really have much... It doesn't really have a capstone on it. It just kind of stops happening. Yeah, it doesn't really leave us with a solid statement. Yeah. Because, just because Dave is sitting there in the temple, I... I mean, we don't see him pray. And that was something I expected to see in this movie, was to literally see him praying angry. And I, I mean, I guess we kind of see him praying or meditating or at least just sitting there thinking peacefully. And then that's when the spirit of his dad comes out in the form of a shadow. And we learn from that weird seance scene that the spirits like him because he's got a pure soul and they want to like come out and hang around him or something. And one of them is his dad. It's just the spiritual aspect of this movie is really weird and we never get any sort of definitive like shape of what Dave believes or what he thinks. It's quasi supernatural. And, yeah. Eh, doesn't it's, work very it's, well. It is very strange because it almost on one hand feels more like an influence that maybe okay, maybe Dave is realizing things like things about this about this religion that they have here and then maybe he'll go on later to really expand on that outside of the movie it's more just kind of a push off the ledge here not just a full conversion but at the same time 
there are things that make it feel like it is a full conversion almost. It's very, like I said, it's just very random how they decide to decide to write this into the movie. It doesn't feel like it was completely thought out before they edited it. Or maybe there were extra scenes that they cut out. I don't know what happened, but it just doesn't feel very organic in any sense of the word to this movie to have it in here. I'm, I know it's important because I know the Indians are very religious, uh, but at the same time, it just it doesn't fit very well in this movie, and it just kind of comes off as just being, once again, scatterbrained. Yeah, and Dave is constantly going back and forth between how much he loves India, yet he hates aspects of it, and he's determined to fix them somehow. Yeah. Through, through, uh, contrived sequences, we might say. Yeah. And I guess once he understands his dad's treatment of him, he now likes being India now that he knows what to expect. He's like, oh man, I really like it here now that I, now that I get it. And, but nevertheless, he's still continually bullied. And we have that, um, horribly, horrible montage of them all getting bullied. And I just yeah. don't know what's going on. I mean, it, it gets to be ridiculous after a while how all of these kids are bullied and they just take it and they're like, oh, this is, this is just how it is. And okay, I guess. I don't know why that's the case. And it takes an outsider to fix it and stand up to him, but yeah. It, it is... This whole movie can be really be summed up by the word scatterbrained, I feel, because it just kind of is all over the place in certain, especially in certain scenes, especially here in this, and, and here too in this montage, it just kind of is all over the place. They're, they're trying to show a passage of time and whatever, but having no groundwork laid before the montage, it kind of just doesn't really work here it kind of makes me wonder why they even had a montage i feel like they probably could have gone on without one uh well anyways well, there is thing... a line that i thought to be very interesting here and it's got more to do with pride they do talk about pride quite a bit in this movie and i heard the per i forget who said it it, it may have been uh i want to say it was a monk i don't know what their like leaders of the religion are uh called here in hinduism but one of the guys he talks to, he says that uh, anger's biggest attribute is pride. It's his, also his biggest weakness. I think he said anger. I've, I could, there were no subtitles, so I couldn't really tell. But there is this discussion of pride a lot throughout this, throughout this, throughout this movie. And I found it to be quite interesting. But also one of those things that doesn't really have an end to it. It just kind of stops happening. But... It's interesting nonetheless, nonetheless, just not wrapped up very well. Yeah, and this just goes to show you that nothing in this movie really makes an impact and nothing after the first act, the movie loses me, I would say. Yeah. I am drawn in by the first act. I'm intrigued to see what goes on and how they address certain things, but nothing is very satisfying. And like Alan said, it's all very scatterbrained because we jump from problem to problem and Sometimes they're fixed, sometimes they're not fixed, and they're trying to set them up throughout the whole movie, so by the end of the right. third act, they can pay them off. I don't know, the screenplay is a bit all over the place here. Right. And so you could kind of scroll on your phone and not really miss anything. It's one of those movies where you could scroll on your phone, look up, and not miss anything because Dave has changed his mind for the, the 12th time, and 
I don't know. But, okay, help me out here. So we got this really confusing... I th- at first, I thought it was a riot, but then I thought it was... I guess in a way it is a riot, but it's also more so a mob. And at the center of the mob is the bully, and he has a knife to the principal's throat. Nobody's really doing anything about it. They're just kind of standing around waving sticks and yelling. Yeah. It takes Dave running out there to kind of like start shoving people. And then it's then it's going to get like really graphically violent because they're going to like start setting people on fire. And uh, this is very much the uh, savior scene. This is when the savior comes in and says, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. Okay, we get your heavily drawing from some Christianity there. This scene just came out of nowhere. And yeah. It's also it, it, just it, incredibly an easy setup for Dave to be respected and fixed by everyone. This is so cheap, I think. Yeah, no, the, this ending is kind of out of nowhere. It, they, it has a little bit of setup because we do know <laughs> that Raj, this is the big, this is like the leader of the bully, the pack of bullies. Yeah, Raj does get expelled for cheating on a test. And the principal, the principal is the one who finds out about this. Therefore, also the one he does the expelling. Then I guess he got drunk that night and hit someone's kid, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And then um, this is all said through like one line of dialogue. And somehow the father is all knowing in this scene. But so he hits someone's kid. I assume that it may have been the principal's kid. He takes the principal hostage and that causes the riot, right? Maybe. It's, it's very confusing in the scene how they... How they go about this. But yeah, so Raj is very much just kind of drunk out of his mind. And then he is trying, I don't really know what he's trying to do. I guess he's trying to defend himself with what he did. And that's when uh, Dave comes in and and kind of puts an end to it and almost leaves him there to a base. I'm, I'm guessing he would have been killed uh, had he left him there. But he comes back and saves him. It's comes out of nowhere. Um, it's... I understand it's trying to reinforce and finish up this um, this theme of respect, but it uh, is one of those things where it takes it to one of it, it over it blows it out of proportion. That's just the best way to put it. Is it blows this idea of wrapping this theme up of res- of getting respect out of proportion to a level where it's just like, okay, how did we get here? Because the rest of the movie is pretty. Pretty passive for the most part, up until this scene. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. Now there really is no lead into riots happen all quite often or anything like that. It just happens for no reason really, aside from just getting this idea wrapped up. Yeah, Dave's heroism is incredibly forced, mostly throughout yeah. this movie, oh, yeah. where he will always be the first one to stick up. I guess because of his American individualism. Maybe that really is the case, but like I said, he this is very forced in this scene. The mob is not scary in this movie. In real life, this would be incredibly scary, and if I was um, an American visitor there, there's no way I would be getting involved with this. Right. Because I don't want to get killed. If this was real life and Dave started shoving people, like, because... 
they're going to burn this guy alive, I guess, which is extremely drastic to do that right there in the yeah. middle of the street. Oh, yeah. Dave starts shoving him, and he starts throwing gas on everybody else. They would have just clubbed him to death for that. There's no way he yeah. would. The, and, the minute he stepped in to try and protect Raj, he would have been in the same situation that Raj is in right now. Yeah, they would have thought. Yeah, that I thought. First of all, they most likely wouldn't have even understood him or what he's trying to do. Just to think that he has the audacity to uh, play off this Jesus moment is I, it's just ridiculous. Plus, he yeah. thinks he's the – I'm like, what does Dave think? He's the karate kid? He just starts <laughs> running in here. He thinks he's, you know, um, whatever the karate kid's name is. He thinks he's all bad. It's- <laughs> I know. In some ways, it is just really funny to see this being played out because it's just so silly. But yeah, it in no way would work this it work out the way that it does here in real life. No way. Did you ever check the time when you were watching the movie? Because I know towards the end here, I kept like, "How much till this movie is over?" <laughs> yeah, I did a couple of times, more so in the last forty five minutes. Or- mm-hmm thereabouts uh that was when i really started checking the time and it was like okay we got 30 more minutes left of this and all kinds of stuff because that's when it's really just kind of boring up until like the last 10 minutes here when he they do have this riot right but and uh m night Shyamalan, it doesn't solve every problem in a screenplay i guess just so we can't say he doesn't fix everything and take the easy way out because when right. he does meet this girl I mean, just the audacity to think that he is going to get this girl out of an arranged marriage, like, he has the capability, like, the influence to do such a thing right. in this <laughs> town that he's been there for, like, a, a couple months. I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah, of course you're not going to solve this problem, and I I don't really feel bad for any of this. This is very much, rom- okay, this is romanticism versus reality. Yeah, very much so. This is kind of what the whole movie's kind of been about right? throughout yeah. the entire runtime is this that idea of romanticism versus reality. Right. Dave is the kind of hip-shooting romantic where yep. he can solve problems fairly easily by his kind of machoism in certain ways. And then he's faced with reality of, yeah – no, you're not going to be breaking up every arranged marriage here like you yep. did with Sean J's sister. And yeah. and you just can't. And your kind of teenage theorizing isn't going to do anything for her or family either. It's it, This feels like the very uh, immature teenage love scene. Yeah. And in some ways, I do actually enjoy this because, I want, like you said, you can't fix every problem here. Yes. You can't. For the second time, can't break up an arranged marriage, but at the same time, it it's just another one of those things where it just feels like it's in here at the very. To be fair, the love interest has always been very much on the outside of everything that's been happening here. It just kind of asks the question of why is she even here in the first place? But this does actually remind me of a very funny story because I had a friend in high school who did date a foreign exchange student. Oh. Uh, I for, I'm trying to think. I know that she graduated with us. She was a pretty cool girl. Um, but it is. it was just kind of funny uh, because they dated <laughs> for a few months, I think. 
I forget mm-hmm. exactly how long they did. It may have been over the break too, over Christmas break. But I know that they also tried to make it work as she went back to where she went back to her home country, which is I think Germany. Mm. Uh, <laughs> long story short, it didn't work out. Oh. But it, this this scene did remind me of that, and it just kind of made me laugh. And it's like, yeah, because I know that they do mention, oh, we can make it work. I know we can. I'm just like, huh, huh. I like to. I mean, not to say that it wouldn't work, but I like to see the movie try and do that. Yeah. Now, of course, they they leave it and they don't. But it it just reminded me of that funny story that that happened in high school. Especially during the age of this time where personal computers weren't as common and they had yeah. dial-up internet at best, maybe. And yeah, I don't even know about in rural India. Yeah, I, I about to say the same thing. I'm not so sure how the situation is there in India around this time. I wouldn't assume. I wouldn't think that it's anything to do with internet there. I, I wouldn't think they have any. I, I mean, I guess in a way this is more so a realistic representation probably one of the most realistic representations especially after coming off an unrealistic scene where i think at some time in everyone's life and this even kind of reminds me of how this is brought up in citizen kane when bernstein is talking about there isn't a day that goes by where i don't think about that girl that got off Mm -hmm. the ferry and like what would have how would have my life been different if i would have talked to her and that's a very romanticized ideal that I know that I've had throughout my life is, oh, what if I would have talked with that girl at the airport or this or that? It's it's very silly yeah. and whatnot. Um, I mean, I had this these thoughts in like fourth grade or third grade <laughs> where this yeah. girl that I liked, she was moving away. And I remember her name was Christy. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, and there's no such thing as you know, really cell phones back then. Yep. I mean, you had like your flip phone and stuff, but there's no way. And we we didn't keep in contact. So this is what this makes me think of. So I guess this is honestly maybe the most realistic and relatable scene of the movie. Probably. I mean, it, it just kind of goes to show that you can't really change everything. You're not going to be a such a radical difference and change the entire culture being there for three months. Um, right. that one, that is kind of the more realistic part of the movie, uh, because she does end up having to go along with this arranged marriage and she just goes, that's just the way it is. And I won't say Raj, but that's not his name, but Dave is very much like, guess I can't fix it. I suppose, uh, which you, I mean, you really can't cause he's leaving, I guess in a couple of days when the scene happens. So, I mean, I appreciate it for doing that, but at the same time with everything else, just kind of like, Oh Haha, <laughs> funny. It is also a bit ironic how M. Night Shyamalan is wanting to draw our attention to these problems in the East, yet nobody really saw this movie because it wasn't released theatrically. It was like released at like one film festival, maybe, and some smaller yeah. ones. Yeah, I, I kind of am seeing it more as a it's, a. it's kind of a story that's pretty personal. I guess, and what I'm seeing from, from M. Night Shyamalan and how he does how he kind of – or maybe as a child he had to battle between these two cultures of his American life and then his life at home is very much geared towards an or Indian lifestyle. Um, I wonder if that was what the original intent was and how he kind of has to battle between these two idea, ideals here. It's not – once again, not executed the best, but if that's what he was going for, I see it. 
but still. And and I would say that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, listeners. I am not trying to be some pessimist saying that we shouldn't have positive outcomes of negative circumstances portrayed in movies, but they have to be believable and they have to pay off, and this doesn't do that. Yeah, execution is key, and, uh, well, execution isn't really done the best in this movie. No. Just kind of in general. Now, we get two kind of big, there are like mini monologues and big lines here at the end where Dave says, Indians are the most passionate people, man. When they're praying, they're devout. When they're angry, they're furious. I don't know where Dave gets his little theorizings from, where it's like every 15 minutes he has to like throw out some... Yeah. Perspective that he just gained. <laughs> and it just comes across as just cheesy. And yep. I guess this is where we get sort of the title from, except he kind of blends the two instead of, he says, praying they're devout, angry they're furious. He kind of goes and he kind of brings in this like physical and spiritual of praying angry, I guess. I, I don't know. I just found it to be silly. Yeah, it, it, I'm glad it's the last one that we have here, but yeah, it is very interesting. It's an interesting yeah. line, nonetheless, to him for him to say that when they're praying, they're devout, but when they're angry, they're furious. It's it is an interesting line because for everything that we've seen up until this point in the movie, that has been the case where the the people of this culture are very much passionate about everything that they stand for. Now, once again. He's has not delivered the best. This entire scene is kind of out there. It doesn't really have much lead into it. It's the basic run-of-the-mill formula that's been happening throughout this movie. It just kind of comes out of nowhere and it just kind of is there. It, I, I mean, at least it fits within the context, the context of the movie, but it's also just, you know, happens. But also, where is, where is Dave landing on this? Because to me, it seems like he's saying this in a positive way. And I, I just get confused because Dave yeah. seems to really despise some of these things. But then he, then again, he's like, oh, now that I, th- I understand this is just their culture, I really like it and it's okay. But then right. he stops certain things that go on and I just, he never gives us any definitive answer. He gives us, he tries to, it seems like he's trying to have it both ways here. This yeah. the devout side and the, and the furious side, he's trying to like excuse them both or justify them both. But his actions never uh, agreed with that. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm guess. What I'm guessing here is he's going for a more passive approach, where he just accepts that this is the way that it is, and realizes that some aspects of it are very, are maybe even better than some of the American aspects of their lifestyle, but not something that he completely agrees with. That's never exactly stated. In this movie, that's just kind of what I'm gathering by the way that the movie ends up on this note of him saying a few these, especially these few lines here at the end. It feels like he's more of just accepting that this is just the way that the culture is and that even for it being that way, it is beautiful. But at the same time, not something that he still wholeheartedly agrees with. That's just yeah, what I was getting out of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably it, it right. It is not stated the best. I will give you no. that. <laughs> He is, he tries to state it in a profound way, and I'm not saying yeah. it's a bad line, but it just feels like a cheesy payoff that comes out of nowhere, and it doesn't feel yeah. organic whatsoever. As most of his lines, you tend to not sound. 
But and I'm sure Alan, you wrote down some cheesy lines throughout. Oh yeah, I've got a this. few. <laughs> I've got a, I got few. a few too. I I was writing them down as well, and I'm like, dang, this is oh, this is so fun. And I just find it funny how like these um, some of the worst extent of what the bullies make them do is ask girls if they've been kissed before, make them run with their arms above their heads and their shirts up and make them walk like chickens or whatever. I'm like, man, these, okay. If that's the extent of bullying in India, then they, it's not that bad. Apparently I'm not trying to excuse it or anything, but compared to the gulag, some of these poor kids here have to suffer through. It just was a really weak representation and yeah. then especially contrasting their weak bullying. And then the bullies want to get him drunk, try and throw him out in the middle of traffic. And it's like a uh, one lane road, though. So I know. Like, if you don't look carefully, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, clearly there's something wrong. But the cars just keep honking. Like, what are these nutcases doing? And then the car just like sits there honking at him. And I don't know, that whole drunken episode is like never addressed again i guess anyways there's just so many funny lines that it would take a while to go over them but and the the final here is just oh dear he says because he experiences a wide range of emotions that makes him an indian and i said no that makes you a teenager (laughs) yeah that would be the best way of responding to that i yeah I don't really know what else to say about that line because I think you just about nailed it, on, nailed it on the head. He's very much a teenager here. He's still got his high schoolness inside of him still. What I just find funny is though is that we're supposed to find like a lot of this stuff heartwarming, like when yep. the bully salutes him. Yep, gain the respect he was looking for. One of the one of the arcs that was actually finished up in a better way than anything else here, I guess. And this is very much elementary elementary storytelling. Yeah, it to is. To make these, you know, idealistic payoffs as such. And the movie just, I guess I'm, I guess he's praying to the Hindu god maybe. And he's like, oh, I, I get everything now. And we have this awful, cheesy, triumphal music there yeah. at the end to close it out with the bad line. I was going back to America, but I was leaving my home. Oh, gosh. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's one of those movies. <laughs> so, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Praying with Anger? Now, earlier I had mentioned that this movie feels very much like a quilt to me where just random patches of things are sewn together to make a blanket. That's probably the best way I can describe this movie. I've mentioned this several times, but it's extremely scatterbrained. Scenes somehow are edited in a way where there's force to connect when in reality they have no connection at all. Uh, ideas. There are so many subplots being balanced here that with after the first 20-30 minutes or so, that legitimately is quite interesting. Um with, with what I was trying to tackle here and the differences in culture, we move on to the last hour and 15 minutes and uh, they're trying so hard to balance everything that they set up that it becomes, like I think I mentioned earlier, a very bad juggling act. It doesn't do the best job here. It's 
Oh, I can. I have to give it this. The first half an hour, I was pretty interested in it. And I thought that the ideas that it was trying to tackle and trying to ask were legitimately interesting. And then they dropped that about third through the movie. And we kind of get this idea of him juggling these two things between the two ideas between the two cultures and how each one is good or bad or whatever they're trying to do. It doesn't work in the end. There is not the editing here is not great borderline very poor i can see where he's going with a few of these things in that shaman but at the same time execution is key and it doesn't do a very good job of that either so in the end it's not going to be a recommend for i think what are obvious reasons you can't i mean if you want to watch it, it's on youtube it's not very hard to find but in terms of a score probably going to give it a two I was thinking about a one and thinking about a three, but there are things here that I'm like, okay, well, it's also interesting, but at the same time, there's nothing here that I feel like I'm going to remember. I woke up this morning to record this podcast. I was like, oh crap, what else was in this movie? Like, I had almost forgotten everything that I watched the night before. That's the two out of 10. That's not going to be a not recommend for me. Whoa, I wasn't expecting a two. Now, I mean, I can understand a two, but I was not expecting a, a two. <laughs> It happens. <laughs> it happens. Alan Alan was praying with anger while watching this movie, apparently. Yes, I was. Yes, I, <laughs> yes, I was. M. Night Shyamalan's Praying with Anger is more so an exploratory film for the triple threat creator than anything else. Himself having Indian ancestry, he creates a fictional character that travels to India to learn about his homeworld and ultimately himself. He begins out of sorts and finally achieves alignment. Shyamalan explores the many issues plaguing India, but gives little believability on how to solve them. The camera work and setting isn't half bad, even the score is mostly decent for the time. Unfortunately, his first film is bogged down by cheesy line delivery, hokey situations and resolutions, and no real impact left on the viewer. Although it does feature positive aspects such as a pro-American message and giving an idealistic outcome to Indian problems. The film leaves on a pro-pantheistic note with strong references seasoned throughout, giving this film a false worldview. Praying with Anger is a mildly decent, albeit weak, start to Shyamalan's career. It receives 5 stars out of 10 with a mild not recommend. I'm I'm curious about next week with this uh, next movie, Wide Awake. Yes. Uh, this is, once again, kind of the same boat as Praying With Anger. I don't know anything about it except by name because I looked up his, I looked up M. Night Shyamalan's uh, filmography a while back mm-hmm. and saw these two before Sixth Sense. Yeah. So I'm pretty curious to see what happens uh, with Wide Awake because from what I've, what I understand, it's much better than this one. I would sure hope so, and I'm wondering if there will be a couple more autobiographical elements in it as well, because I know M. Night Shyamalan went to Catholic school for quite a while when he was a boy, and this, I believe this is about a boy going to Catholic school. I read the plot once, and I completely forgot it, so I don't know. Alan and I have never seen this movie. We're going fresh into it. I have some hopes that on his second run, he will have learned how to fix some things. Yeah, I I have a feeling he probably will. Uh, it'll be a much more competent film here uh, with Wide Awake next time around. We'll see you next week 
when we record that and see how it really holds up compared to this one and then eventually compared to Sixth Sense. Yeah, and it's interesting to note this movie, Wide Awake, was done... Uh, I believe it was done about uh, six years after Praying with Anger, and then the year after Wide Awake, so Shyamalan turned around on it pretty quickly. He did The Sixth Sense, he wrote The Sixth Sense, and he wrote Stuart Little in the same year. Right. Which, is, Which if, yeah, if you didn't know, he did do Stuart Little. It's like saying, hey, I'm going to write The Conjuring and... uh. Uh, the new Disney movie uh, also in the same year. Yeah. It's just usually yeah. uh, usually people don't work on vastly different projects at the same time. Right. But that's a nice Shaman for you. He's, he's a cool guy. I'm interested to see what he can do um, with next week's movie, Wide Awake. And I don't even know what kind of title that is. But hopefully it'll be fun. So, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on our review of Praying with Anger. We want to know what you thought of this movie, so make sure to leave your comments below. Also, you can leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Those links are in the description below. And while you're at it, don't forget to click subscribe and follow us here on Silver Screen Guide on your podcast uh, aggregator of your choosing and also on our social media sites as well so you will not miss a beat also for those of you who love email like myself you can go to our website and subscribe to get our weekly newsletter that goes out every friday around lunchtime as well so you will never miss anything that way either i want to say thank you again for uh listening to us and sticking around with us and also, go ahead and share this with your friends and family. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. Alan and I don't just do this to talk about it with each other, but we do it to share our thoughts with uh, fellow film lovers and as well. So make sure to share that with your friends and family. And also, we would appreciate a five-star review on iTunes that does help us in the rankings, get noticed um, by other people who are interested in listening to uh, film review podcasts and finding something fun to listen to and enjoy and engage with so those five-star ratings not only are for us and to hear your feedback but they are also for um, f fellow film lovers as well so listeners make sure to stay tuned we will be coming back to you very soon next week with M. Night Shyamalan's second film Wide Awake just kind of ask the question of why is she even here in the first place? Mm -hmm. Kitty cat, no. Get down. You're making notes. No. Nope.